great song to take our Bibles and open up to, isn't it? Amen. Glad that you're here today. Welcome you. If you're a guest, let me just say what Don said to you. Glad that you're here and our prayers that you'll feel like you're among friends. And um, if you're among enemies, don't let us know, okay? Glad that you're here. Let's take our Bible this morning, okay? And I want you to turn back to Hebrews chapter 11 one more time, okay? I hope you brought the Bible with you. And Hebrews chapter 11, for those of you that are guests today, we're kind of walking through a wonderful, wonderful chapter on faith in the Word of God. And I think for me anyway, I don't know about our church, but for me it's been a a wonderful study. It's been an encouraging study, been somewhat of a, a challenging study for me. So it kind of bolstered. We need to be challenged, right? And so it's kind of challenging me. I hope it has our church a little bit. Let me tell you what I've uh, titled the message, okay? The title I gave to the message uh, is How to Refuse the World. And let me tell you where I came up with it or how it came to be. I I think that uh, the greatest battle a believer faces is that each morning we've got to decide who we're going to follow We're going to study that today in the life of Moses. We kind of did last week. We'll uh, do it again this week. Every morning, gang, you've got to decide. When you uh, get up on Monday morning and you brush your teeth and you look in the mirror and you say, ugh, you know, but you know you've got to go out into the world. When you walk out your door, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, You've got to decide, am I going to follow God today or am I going to follow my own wishes? The book of Colossians kind of talks about it this way. It kind of makes an illustration maybe of a cold winter morning. And the idea in the book of Colossians is who are you going to put on in the morning? You're going to put on Christ, walk under the cloak of the Lord Jesus Christ, Or are you going to put on the world? In a sense, that's what Moses was faced with. He came to a point in his life where he had to decide whether he was going to follow God or whether he was going to follow Egypt. And, of course, I mentioned to you that Egypt is a picture of the world. So he had to decide whether he was going to follow God or follow Egypt. One leads to life. The other leads to death. Now, if you were with us last week, what I did last week is I took our, our scripture, the same scripture we're going to look at this week, and I tried to bring out to you some contrast, some of the different words that the writer uses to contrast that which is good and that which is bad. Let me tell you what I found out this week in my study. I found out that I missed one. Actually, it's not a contrast as much as it is a comparison, but I blew my mind. I thought, how did you miss that, Tom? And so I spiritualized a little bit and thought, well, I missed it because God wanted me to bring it out today. That probably means I just blew it, but it makes me feel better about myself, okay? So let me tell you what I want to do today. We're going to look at verses 23 through 27. Actually, we're going to concentrate on verse 24 through verse 26, okay? And we're going to go back the classroom. Uh, how many of you remember? How many of you liked English when you were in school? Three. This may not go well. 
How many of you liked grammar? One. Okay. Two. Yes. We're going to go back to grammar. Okay. And I'm going to point out the, the, the grammatical structure of what the writer is trying to get across in us doing that. My hope is to bring some affirmations to you, maybe a little bit of encouragement to you as we talk on the subject on how we can refuse the world. Let me tell you what you got to do. As we look at Moses, we got to figure out, first of all, the stand that he took. How could he take that stand? Why did he take the stand? That's the first thing we're going to deal with. The second thing we want to talk about is the strength that he received. How did he get the strength? Where did it come from? Why did it help him? And then from that, my, my goal is, church, to dry, try to drive home some of the application to you. I don't want to waste 30 minutes of your life. I believe there's a reason for us to be here today. I think there's a reason why we take God's Bible, the Scriptures, and we open it. We do our best to teach from it. But I think it's important. Not only do we dig out what's in it, but one of the challenges us preachers always face is to try to apply it to you because you see in the morning, guess what happens? You get up and you brush your teeth and you look in the mirror and you go, ugh. And then you got to go out into the world, don't you? And in the course of the next 24, 40, the course of the whole week, every morning, you've got to decide who you're going to follow. Are you going to follow Christ or are you going to follow the world? That was the challenge Moses faced all the way back then. But it's as relevant today. Who are we going to? To follow, would you stand with me in honor of God's word? And why don't we? Um, well, let's read verse 23. I was going to just go ahead and cut to 24, 25, and 26, but the, which is the heart of what we're going to be doing. But that whole section begins verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that he was a beautiful child. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now, here's, here's the heart of what we're going to be dealing with. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And then notice verse 25, because it tells us how. Choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin... And then secondly, considering, see those I-N-G words? I'll bring that out. Considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than all the treasures of Egypt. Why? Because he was looking for the reward. And then verse 27. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is Unseen. Let's take a moment and pray together and ask God to help us understand a, an incredible passage of Scripture. Father, I, I bow before you this morning. I, I love the passage. It's incredible. Last week, looking at some of the contrasts, 
Lord, this week breaking down the grammar of it, the structure of it. And I, I pray, God, that you'll help me communicate. This is really, really good stuff, Father. Whoever you inspired to write it, uh, he did well. So much so that preachers like me struggle trying to bring out the truths. And to do that in a way that's applicable to the people that you've brought this morning to sit before us, Father, uh, is, is, is intimidating in some respects. And we know we need your Holy Spirit. First, the Holy Spirit must take uh, the efforts of an imperfect preacher and somehow grab his heart and his mind and his lips and, and build into him uh, an urgency to share divine truth. But God, that's only part of the equation, isn't it? If the dear people that have chosen to come aren't prepared to receive, if our hearts are not ready, if our ears are not prepared, then we lose the impact. And so, Father, I, I humbly ask you today to help the preacher and to help the people to get into some precious, precious scriptures. And then, Lord, not just leave and forget it, but, God, we leave and apply it because we're going to be better because of it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thank you, guys. Be seated. Uh, keep your Bible open, if you would. And let's, um, let's begin this morning in verse 24. And I, I want to start by discussing with you the, the stand that, that Moses took. I, I mentioned a word to you last week. It's the word refused. We could define that term as deny. However, what I didn't bring out last week probably should have, and I want to today, is that the way the writer writes it, it's very impersonal. It's a, a personal intention. It's kind of a what's called a middle voice, which means that he, he was taking it all in. He was analyzing it all in. But then he realized there had to be a decision that he alone made, obviously under the leadership of God, but he alone made. And so he, he says that I'm going to deny myself. And I think there's times in our lives, maybe tomorrow, after you get up and brush your teeth and look in the mirror and go, ugh, and have to go out, that something may hit you, that you may be faced with something, and you're going to have to decide whether you're willing to give into the world or perhaps deny yourself. Now, when you begin to deny yourself, it's required that you exert discipline in your life. Everything in life generally requires some level of discipline. You agree with that? Think about it this way. If you're like me, in my age, in my weight level, you're on a diet, or I'm on a diet. I shouldn't say you're on a diet. You don't need it. I do, okay? But I've been on a diet 20 years. If there's one thing I learned about a diet, number one, it doesn't work very well. Number two, it requires discipline. See? You can't lose weight and eat whatever you want to eat. Fair enough? This past week, we had vacation Bible camp. And somebody, I'm not going to call any names, 
But somebody had a table set up right in the front of the fellowship hall. And in the front of the fellowship hall, there were some jars. One of the jars was filled with starbursts. The other jar was filled with Tootsie Rolls. Now, gang, listen, you never put starbursts and Tootsie Rolls in front of a preacher who's on a diet. Because I looked at those starbursts and I said, forget discipline. Go for the starbursts, you know. Well, you know as well as I do that anything you do, and especially a diet, requires a little denial of self. There's something personal there when you say, Starbursts, Tootsie Rolls, I don't think so, right? How about athletics? Some of you guys, the older you get, the better you were, right? And, uh, but have you ever seen a runner right before a big race open up a box? Somebody put Krispy Kremes right there. Open up a box of Krispy Kremes and eat about a dozen of those things. Say, let's go run a mile. They can't do that. Why? Because discipline dictates that. How about your jobs? I mean, if you're going to get ahead, doc, if you don't have discipline, because you doctors and the residents work all night long, hours upon hours studying, you never see your wives and your children as much as they would, I assume as much as they would like. How are you going to get to be a doctor, doc? By discipline. You see, gang, Everything in life, there's a process. Everything in life requires some level of or some form of discipline. And it was the same for Moses. And Moses understood it. Discipline's a way of life. And you can't get ahead in life in any venue unless you're disciplined. Well, I want to say to you, that's especially true in the Christian's life. There are certain disciplines in the Christian's life that has to be in place and operable or you're not going to mature and you're not going to grow as a Christian. How about reading the Bible? When people come to me, you know one of the first things I ask them? Are you reading your Bible? Why do I ask that? Because there's something about God's Bible. There's something about the scriptures that go beyond circumstance and beyond the pressure of the world that digs straight into the heart. That's a fundamental discipline. If you're, not, if you're a believer in Christ and you're not reading the Bible, I'm going to say to you, you're a weak Christian and you're probably getting beat up by some of the elements of the pressure of the world today, you see. What about prayer? My next question to people. Well, are you praying? Now, I have to tell you, most of them say, I sure am. You know why? Because they're in a box. Man, when you're under pressure, what's the one thing you do? You pray. But prayer's not worship, you see. So I asked them, what's part of your disciplines of your life? Bible, prayer. What about studying of God's Word? I hope you're here today, not because of a song that's going to be sung or my book, my hook, figure. That's a joke, folks. I hope you're here because there's something that you hope to hear from God's Word, because you know it's God's Word that ultimately will change your life, maybe even redirect the course of your life to that which is eternal. That's a fundamental discipline for God's people. How about worshiping together? I think there's a reason why people ought to gather up together. The writer of Hebrews will say that, forsake not the assembling of ourselves together together 
as a matter of some is. We ought to be together. And I understand I mentioned that last week about breaks and all of that. I'm talking about God's people on a regular basis ought to meet regularly together. When our kids grow up and they go to college, I met with Rhonda when she left. I met with Jeff when he left. And I said to them, hey, you're going to be living in a different place and you're never going to come home again, which is about true. I said, you better find you a church. When our kids leave, we say to them, find a church. Unfortunately, they're finding better preachers than they had before when they left here, you know. That, that's important. Why is that important? Because it builds certain spiritual disciplines in our life. At a critical juncture in Moses' life, the Bible says he refused to be what he knew he was not and never intended to be. And so he chose God. The word means to take personal interest. Listen to me. That word deny. Or that word refused means to take personal interests, personal desires, personal delights, and set them aside. That's not easy, but that's required. The word means that you do not act like your nature and your flesh wants you to act. That's not easy but that's required. The word means you decide your priorities. When I was growing up, we called it a pecking order. You decide your pecking order knowing that you're going to have to live in that order and live in the consequences that come in the pecking order that you've placed in your life. It means that you think a little bit about life and you establish the core values of your life and then you decide not only are these my core values, I'm going to live my life based upon these core values. That's what Moses did. Now, I understand it was a long time ago. I understand that it was all different back then and than it is today. But folks, when you boil it all down, that's simply what Moses was doing. He was looking at the core values. He was looking at who he was, who God made him to be, and he was trying to decide, do I go with God or do I go with Egypt or the world? And he chose God, and so he refused or he denied himself. I want to say to you before we move on, you'll never be the Christian you want to be. You'll never accomplish what you desire to accomplish as a Christian, as a spiritual brother or a spiritual sister, without thinking about these disciplines, these godly disciplines in your life. It just, it can't happen, gang. I'm not saying you got to be at church every time the doors are open. I'm not saying you got to memorize the Bible. I'm not saying you got to spend hours in prayer. What I'm telling you is this. If you want to grow as a Christian, if you want God's smile to be on your life, and if we as a corporate entity here want God to, to smile on our faith family, then there's some fundamentals that's required. Just like a guy on a diet can't eat Tootsie Rolls and, and uh, what was that other stuff? Sarburst, you like them too, I can tell. Just like an athlete can't eat, I don't, take those Krispy Kremes home with you, okay? Just like they can't do that, 
there are certain things we can't if we desire to be, have, and do God's best in our life. Now, you understand that? Good. All right, now, here's a question. How did he do it? If that's what he did, how did Moses do it? Look at verse 25, okay? Now, remember a few weeks ago I said the I-N-G words are what's called participles. Participles always embolden or empower a verb. And a verb is the heart of the sentence. You remember that English teacher. I know you do, okay? Well, the verb is refused. Verse 25 and verse 26 are I-N-G words, so it tells us how he did that. Verse 25 simply tells us that he did it by choosing God's people. The word choosing means preferred. At that moment of his life, at that critical juncture of his life, maybe at the crossroads or that crisis point in his life, Moses preferred to be with God's people, which means he had to refuse the people of Egypt or the people of the world. He preferred being with God. There's something about the people of God that drew him. There was something about the people of God that stirred his heart. There was something about those deep longings in his life that made him choose the people of God. I believe that's as true today as it was back then. Beloved, listen to me. There's something about the church of Jesus Christ. As imperfect as we may be, I know the imperfections. I live looking in a mirror at an imperfect pastor every single morning. I'm well aware of the imperfections of the church. I'm well aware of the warts and the blemishes we have, okay? But gang, I'm telling you there's something precious and there's something beautiful about the people of God. I like hanging out with the people of God. One of the joys I get from Camp Jam and especially Bible school is I walk around and I see hundreds of adults all ages serving and working. Now I know I don't stay long enough because I'm afraid if I stay too long they're going to make me do something. So I keep on moving, okay? I understand, but I want to tell you, there's... There's something about the people of God. There, the, there's something about coming to church on Sunday. And I know you can't be here every time. I understand all that stuff. But I want to tell you, I look for you. I, I, I long to see you, the people of God. There's something about the people of God. I, I was visiting with a young couple yesterday. Just moved here. I don't, they may not even be here today. I, I don't know. They said they might, except I couldn't remember what I was preaching, so they probably decided I ain't going there. He don't even know what he's preaching. Uh, but I, 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 I was talking to them and inviting them to church and, and everything we're doing, you know, all that kind of stuff. I was really putting a sales job on them. And, uh, but here's what I told them. I said, we're not the only church around. There's some wonderful churches in our area. Indian Springs would love to have you, but we may not be the church for you. But I want to tell you, Gar Springs is a good church. And First Southern's a good church. And Midtown, gang, listen, beyond the local entity, there is the kingdom of God. And there's something about 
the people of God that ought to excite our lives. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. All things pass away. Behold, all things become new. What's the old? It's a life of sin. What's the new? It's the life with God's people. And Moses understood. He could have had it all, gang. He could have had everything that the world had to offer. And he said, "Eh -eh. I'd rather hang with my people. And not only did he prefer to hang with his people, he'd rather hang with his people while they suffered, knowing that he would suffer along with it. Is that amazing to you? Not only do I want to be with my people, but I want to be in a nine-line bind with my people. That's what the idea is. One has said his body might be in, his pa- in a palace, but his heart was with people. Charles Spurgeon, the great English Baptist preacher of years gone by, said, Affliction? Nah, nobody would choose. But affliction with the people of God? Ah. That's another story altogether. You see, families want to be together. And families will do whatever it takes to be together. In September, my wife and I are flying overseas. And so we've been rat-holing everything we can so that we can make that trip. Now, some say, you're going to see your son, and I smile and say, yeah, but really, we don't care about that. We want to see our grandkids, right? Why is it? Because there's something about that little girl and there's something about that little boy that that stirs my wife and I up. That's family. And family wants to be together. huh? They always want to be together. On the outside, to some, he might have been Egyptian. But on the inside, that really mattered. He was Hebrew. You see, that's one of the proofs that you're in the family that you long for, and you want to be with the people of God. And by the way, let me just add something. We just got through on Wednesday night experiencing God. How many of you went through experiencing God? Good. That's okay. Yeah, good number. We're going to do that again at some point when Don feels led to do that. But I want to tell you, one of the things we learned about experiencing God is you, you find where God's at work. Is that right? And you join him. But let me just add to that a little bit, okay? You always want to be where the people of God is. Because where the people of God is, is where you find God. Because where the people of God are, God is. And God always works through people. You see, God works through His people. There there may be a come a time in your journey that Indian Springs doesn't work for you. I understand that. I don't see how, but it might. I tell you what I, listen to my heart. I'd rather you be excited at First Southern or Geyer Springs than be miserable here. And I'd want those miserable folks over there here, okay? Because there's something about being where the people of God are, okay? So verse 25, choosing rather to endure. Verse 26, notice that considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. Now, this participle is from a word which means to think, then take charge, and, and then take charge. It's a, 
It's a term which means to act or a term which means leadership, to exert leadership. Do you remember when we were talking about Abraham? I think verse 19, we, we looked at Abraham, and the Bible says Abraham was considering, and we said that's the word for logic, which is a word for reasoning out. Moses was, I mean, Abraham was kind of a, a, a probably more of a phlegmatic. Moses is a choleric. And the word that's used here is that Moses considered it, but he had the strength of decisiveness. He grabbed hold of it. He thought about it, grabbed hold of it, and realized it was a far better proposition than the entire world being handed to him on a platter. He reached out and he grabbed the people of and the promise of God. One of the tensions I believe that Christians face is do we want it now or are we willing to wait and get it later? Moses, as he evaluated, said later is better. I'll wait to get it, okay? So that's the stand that he took. Now here's our, our next point, strength. Where, where did he get his strength to do that? Well, I mentioned to you last week we, we looked at some contrasts, and I mentioned earlier today that I felt like I missed one, maybe not a contrast as much as a comparison. And there's a couple words I want to point out to you and then close out. Look at in verse 26, there's a word looking. Look at verse 26. Considering the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. Why? For he was looking to the reward. You see that? Verse 27 is the word seen. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. Those are two different words, and they form an incredible comparison. Let me deal with that, and then we'll be through, okay? The word looking, that in, in, in verse 26, that's the only time it's used in Scripture. And it's a word which means to turn away from and fix your eyes on something else in a very definite manner. In other words, it's to block out everything else, zero in on the target, not just glance, but gaze intently on the target and not keep your eyes off of it. That's what Moses did. He had to blank out the world and the pressures and the enticements that the world had to offer. And he had to fix himself totally on the promise of God. And he knew that in looking at the promise of God, it wasn't going to be for today. But it would be realized down the road. That's why it said he was looking for a reward. Chuck Swindoll in his little commentary said, he looked past the fence line that bounded earth's limits to heaven's greater, greener pasture. That's what that word looking means. You, you, you blank out and you focus right as it, what's in front of you because you know it's better. Let me see if I can illustrate it. I, um, I got some new glasses a few weeks ago. And I, um, uh, my eye doctor wrote the prescription. He's a member of our church. I don't think he's here. He better not be at the lake. It's raining. I hope it dumps all over him. Anyway, I'm teasing. Wayne wrote me a prescription, and I went to get eyeglasses. And uh, 
So I was sitting in front of the lady, and she said, well, there's been some improvements since you've had your glasses last time. I said, really? She said, yeah. She said, you know, you're, you're bifocal. And I said, yeah. And she said, the, the, the before, the, the glasses were like this, and then the bifocal was like this. And she says, we've come out with new glasses now that allows you to widen out so you can see the edges a lot better. And then it still has the little bifocal part. And she says, it's more expensive, but you're going to be able to see so much better. And I thought, you know, that's cool. Because when I'm preaching, now I can see the edges. And if you folks on the edges start nodding off, I just want you to know, Jason, I'm going to be able to see you, okay? Oh, yeah, I'm looking here, but I see you guys. That's the idea, see? So I spent extra money to, <laughs> to get these wide glasses. So I put them on and left, and weeks or later, I went back to get them adjusted a little bit, and I, I said, I, 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 don't, I don't know that I can see a whole lot of difference. And you know what she said? She said, well, of course, you can really only see what you're looking at. And my mind said, wait a minute, I got sold. I spent extra money so I could see people nodding off on the edges. And the fact of the matter is, you can only see what you're looking at. And so I walked away, I was kind of giggling to myself thinking, she got me. And then it hit me. There's a spiritual principle here. You know why? Because, gang, you can only see what you're looking at. And what you're looking at, according to chapter 12, is or should be what? What does chapter 12 say? Fix your eyes on Jesus. You understand that little silly illustration has great spiritual significance? Because you see, if you're looking all around, if Moses had looked all around, Man, he'd have saw gold. He'd have saw precious stones. He'd have saw ribeye steak instead of ground beef. If he'd have been looking around, he'd have saw, seen everything that the world had to offer. But he got to a place where he was focused upon God. He saw what he was looking at. And he saw the value of it. And he chose it. That's what that word looking means. Now the word seeing that's in verse 27 means to see with understanding, to discern, a discerning mind. One said it's to see spiritually. Moses got his strength because he was looking at the right thing and he was not only looking, he was perceiving. He was discerning. He was understanding what he was looking at. And he knew that tomorrow was better than today. And so let me pause before we close. How's your vision? Have you been sold something? How, what you looking at? How's your vision? Are you looking at him who's beyond anything you could ever look at? And are you perceiving? Are you discerning Him who's worthy of everything? I want to close with a little silly story. Um,
John MacArthur, one of my favorite authors, mentions in his, in his commentary about a play that Shakespeare wrote called The Merchant of Venice. Anybody ever read Merchant of Venice? Anybody? Whoa. We got one scholar. If I mess this up, don't tell anybody, okay? I've been known to mess things up. But if I understand the story right, in The Merchant of Venice, there's a beautiful heiress by the name of Portia. And many suitors come a-calling for her hand. A lot of guys would like, I mean, she looked good. She probably smelled good, you know. So a lot of guys came knocking at daddy's door for the hand of Portia. But the daddy made a decree. He said that the husband would only be the man who makes the right choice of three chests that he laid out. Chest number one was made of gold. These words were on it. Who chooses me will gain what many men desire. The second chest was made of silver. It had these words. Who chooses me will get as much as he deserves. Chest three, made of lead. Who chooses me must give and hazard all that he has. All of the suitors chose chest one, chest two, except for one guy, a fellow by the name of Bassanio. He chose chest three. He got Portia's hand. And chest number one was a skull. Many men want to conquer. Their whole life is about conquering. Second chest, there was a picture of a fool. Many men get what they deserve, and they can't handle much. Chest number three was a picture of Portia. And here's the, the storyline. Bassanio was willing to give everything he had for the sake of the one whom he loved. And I believe there's a spiritual application there. Moses decided the greatest of all riches had nothing to do with what the world had or what the world could offer. He realized that the greatest riches in all the world was seen in the promised Messiah who we know as Jesus Christ. Now, dear people, there's a, there's a decision here to be made. You may be at a crossroads. You may be trying to figure out where you stand spiritually. You may look at a job or you may look at whatever the world has and you may see its delicacies and you may say, you know, I want that. And then over here you may see what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, part of a faith family. And there may be a part of you that says, you know, that may be the way of challenge. That may even be the way of suffering. That may be the way of hurting for a time. But the end result is worth it. And maybe today, you've got to decide now or later. Can I, uh, I got some time. Can I, can I tell you where I'm at in life? Um, I think every young couple 
has to decide how they live when they're young and how they choose to live when they're old. The challenge is this for young couples. Some of you can relate to this. Some of you are there now. Some of you young ones may be struggling. You can spend it now, live it up now, and then when you get my age, have nothing. Or you can deny yourself now, you see. Do what a good steward does, and then later in life, enjoy. I tell young couples that come to see me, when we're having our premarital counseling, I said, I'm going to give you some advice that you're not going to take, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. And I wish someone had told me when I was young. You can live for the moment, or you can live for the ultimate. That's the choice you have. If you want to live for the ultimate, then out of every dollar you get, you give God the first dime. Young people, listen. You give God the first dime. Then you give yourself the second dime. Then you build a budget around 80%, and you don't get caught up in the credit card thing, okay? Now you're thinking, Tom, that sounds dumb. Well, initially, it may look dumb. There's a dime that goes to God. There's a dime that goes to myself. And I've got to somehow figure out how to live on 80 cents. But let me tell you what happens. Young people, listen to me. Let me tell you what happens. There's something about money that absolutely mushrooms and explodes. A dime out of every dollar, second dime out, God gets the first 10. You with me? You tracking with that? Okay. I just want to be sure we're on the same page. Okay. By the way, adults, are we tracking on that? There's four of us, believe it, okay? The second dime, sounds silly, doesn't it? A dime out of a dollar? And it is, probably. Doesn't make sense. It won't make sense for 40 years of your life. But if you're faithful to give God his dime, and if you're faithful to give yourself your dime, there's something about that second dime. First of all, it gives God the opportunity to smile on you, right? Because you're obedient in your stewardship. So that, that has merit of its own. But there's something about that second dime. When you get about 40, 50, 60 years of age, that you've been denying yourself all of these years, and all of a sudden, it just goes, it explodes. You see, you take $10 and double it, you got 20. You take 50,000 and double it, you got 100. That's about the extent of my math. But you get the idea. And I'm telling you, kids, you listen to me. You get God's favor on your life in the air of stewardship. When you get to be an old man like me, you begin to enjoy, you get some freedoms that you never had when you was a kid. And I'm just bearing testimony that my wife and I, as best we could, when we could, followed that route. And you know what I'm going to do in September? I'm going to go see my grandkids. I'm going to go see my granddaughter. And I'm going to go see my grandson. And I'm going to pay cash for that trip. And I'm going to take them on a little trip. I don't care if mom and daddy go or not. We're going to Legoland. Yeah, Legoland in Germany. And we're paying cash for it. You know why? Because God got the first dime. And we got the second dime. You see, you have to decide where you are in life, gang. You got to decide, do you want it now and today? 
or do you want to deny yourself and enjoy a little bit then? I'm at the then part. Can I tell you something? It's a whole lot better on this end than it was on that end, you see. But it all boils down to what Moses did. He had to make a choice. Egypt, God. Egypt, or Hebrew. He chose who he was. He chose God. Maybe that's where you're at today. Maybe you're trying to fight through a lot of crud. The only reason is you've never really chose God. You're just playing on the edges. See? It just doesn't work. It's all or nothing. It's God or nothing. Well, I think I'm through. Let's pray. Stu's going to come. and Think about a little bit about what I've said. Maybe the Holy Spirit hopefully said it, not me. Maybe there's a decision that uh, you would do well to make. Something like, you know, God, I don't understand it at all, but today I'd like, to, I'd like to start claiming what's yet to be instead of what is. Father, I, 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 hope, we, we, uh, I hope we pleased you. My heart was. I hope I said only what you wanted me to say. I was kind of open, God, and I'm okay with that if you are. If you're not, I'm sorry. Too late. God, I, I pray for these dear people. Lord, life's so precious, but it's so pressured. We've got to shake it out. And the only way to do that is look at Scripture and look at the lives of people who are in the pressure cooker as well. And see how they did it. And lift the principles out for us to do it. So today, in these next few moments, God, stir what needs to be stirred for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.